Hello, welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. It is a Nations League preview. It's our third Nations League. We still haven't won. We'll not talk too much about that, but uh, we are delighted to be back and delighted to be playing competitive fixtures once again for the first time in seven months. And joining me, Andy Bell, today, I've got, as usual, Dave Dunning, and I've also got Keith Bailey on for the first time, uh, who we're delighted to have joining us. Keith, thank you very much for coming on. But Dave, we'll start with you. Um, We'll, we'll get straight into it here. Normally, I get an opposition journalist or supporter on to talk a little about, about a little bit about the opposition, so we get a few from their perspective. But we're just going to rattle straight through it today because there's so much to talk about, and we kind of, with a quadruple header, we want to preview the group as a whole as well as this game specifically. And uh, I just didn't want to take up an hour and a half of, of everyone's time. Forty five minutes is long enough for them to be listening to us. Nobeds. That seems fair. Yeah. So, um, how how positive are you feeling ahead of of this campaign? Obviously, it's it's a bit of a weird one for us because usually you look at a qualification campaign, whether it's World Cup or Euros, and you've got that one or two teams who's you know the the strongest team, and you'll be lucky to get a point off them. You've got your one or two minnows, and then you've got your one or two teams that you'll probably be fighting for that position against. But it's kind of the first time we've gone into a campaign, you you have Nations League or not. With expectation, we expect to be fighting for top of this group. We're not quite favourites for it. I think as I'll come on to talk about Greece, our slight favourites, but we're we're certainly expecting to be competing to to get promotion to to League B and ultimately get ourselves in these Euro twenty twenty four playoffs again. So it's a bit of a strange feeling going into a campaign, isn't it? Yeah, I I kind of feel ambivalent towards the whole thing. I guess it's been like I've watched a lot of football recently and. <laughs> I could probably do with a break. And I imagine the players probably feel like that as well right yeah. now, to be honest. Um, and I don't know if we'll see that on the pitch. Um, and we've we've only ever really seemed to use the Nations League as as what they are really glorified friendly games. I know it's a competition format, but it was designed to replace international friendlies, but we're kind of using them in the same way. And I think the squad kind of suggests that too. I, I get that a lot of it's been forced, but it's it's experimentation and it's it's looking at, at different players in different positions and maybe trying to kneel down some relationships across the pitch, trying to work out what we're going to do with Gavin White and things like that. And Barclough kind of alluded to that, that, you know, the, the, the objective is to qualify for the Euros and this is the first part of, of that process. So, that's what I kind of feel like. It's to go out there and win games, but that's not the only thing, which international football tends to be a lot, is just go out there and win the game. As we see with Southgate, who sets up a team that it's literally just to win a game of football. That's all it's about. So, um, yeah, I, I feel that that's probably what we're doing. And I'm not against that, to be honest. I think this is still part of this, this reinvention process from... The, the aging O'Neill era and yeah I kind of see it as a sensible move to do that so that's kind of how, how I'm feeling about the whole thing I can relax going into it I can see some new players I can get a look at the the younger crop coming through um so yeah I'm, I'm kind of excited in that and that sort of way but results wise like I'm not massively concerned about it I think it is about putting ourselves in a really good position going into the Euro qualifiers I think, Keith, previously I would have seen the Nations League like that when we were up in League B and we're fighting against ultimately teams which were a little bit above our level in in the likes of Bosnia and Austria and Norway and we end up getting found out a little bit in those. But I think the fact that we, if we do win the group we are, I've got that safety net of a a playoff for the Euros is is quite a big thing and might actually 
for me, make results a little bit more important to make me a little bit less relaxed about the whole thing than, than Dave's saying there. And, you know, all it takes is with it being two teams that qualify from each group in the Euros, you know, we get Germany and the Netherlands as our top two seeds in uh, 2020. It's Italy and Switzerland in the, in the most recent ones. All it takes is a bad draw on those one or two really big, good European teams to, to be drawn in your group. And you're left with very little chance of qualifying. And obviously we won't know our Euro 2024 draw until after the Nations League. So I'm a little bit more uh, touchy about it. I'm a little bit more, we need to get some results here. And I guess the the squad is forced a little bit, you know, to an extent, I think the official line from Northern Ireland is that it's a mixture of fatigue, injury, and, um, you know, players just being done in basically as Dave said, after a long, hard season. But it, it, it is a bit of a strange one coming back to what I was saying to Dave and that like as Northern Ireland, we're not used to, to have an expectation going into campaigns we're not used to not being underdogs and while we are slight underdogs for this game ultimately if we don't win this group it will be seen as a failure for Barclough and potentially even the end for Barclough I don't know what you think No I think I mean I I think Barclough has a bit of a buy ball in terms of the Nations League campaign I don't think there's any chance of it costing this job unless it's a a real a real disaster Um, in terms of winning I mean I think that would be a big achievement I think Greece are are better than us fundamentally. Like I, I appreciate they haven't had the best run of results in recent years. They're not the team they were, obviously. But if you look at their squad, you know it's not bad. Their, their players are better clubs than, than our players. And if you look at their results, yeah, okay, they've lost a few games, but you know against good teams, they've lost by the old goal. Okay, fair enough. I realise that applies to us as well. But I think I think Greece are are a little bit better than us, and and Kosovo are no mugs either. You know, so I, I think. Winning this would be would be great. I think that would be a, a huge boost for, for Barclough. Um, going into these four games, I suppose maybe a fair question to ask is, is what's your target? You know, obviously there's 12 points up for grabs. Well, you want to be getting six off Cyprus. Cyprus don't look a great yeah. team. But that away game in the heat out there, that's not going to be easy. So you could end up with four. You could lose to Kosovo very handy. Grace, you could lose to like this could you could end up with four points and the, it looks really bad. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, like I say, you should get six points off of Cyprus. Possible away is winnable. Grace at home is winnable. So you know, there's a real spread there of anything happening between four and twelve in terms of points. I suspect we'll land somewhere in the middle around around the seven or eight mark, and and that's probably no disgrace if we can do that with the players that we've got missing. Um, you know, there's some names missing. Craig Hathcart's one. Craig Hathcart um, is, you know, didn't maybe have a great year for Watford, didn't have a great end of the season, but was very good for Northern Ireland last year in terms of the, the, the World Cup qualifying campaign. Josh McGuinness isn't everybody's favourite player in a lot of ways, which I, I never understand. For me, he's... He's a, a trusted a trusted soldier. He was a trusted soldier for Michael O'Neill to go out and do a job. Um, uh, and him not being there, it is a blow because he works hard. He holds the ball up well. He, he you know, wins defensive headers. He's got a long throw. You know, there's little elements to his game that's very useful. Same goes for Corey Evans. You know that. So you're without some players that maybe aren't big flashy names, but. They will be they will be missed and they're being replaced by a lot of inexperience, which you know um, in some ways it's exciting. It's definitely exciting to see Connor Bradley, Trey Hume, um, those sort of the guys in the squad. But like this, this kind of these four games are going to be tough, um, and I think 
I wouldn't say winning this group is out of the question, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put any money on it. I think we've got our I think we've got our work cut out. Um yeah, uh, Greece will be favourites to win this one. Yeah, and 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 they are favourites by the bookies as well. And that's that's even for the home game in itself. Uh, not not least just to win the group, but for, for the actual match itself. And yeah, you mentioned some of the players that are out just to rattle through them. They're Cathcart, Dallas, McGuinness, Corey Evans, Ferguson, Flanagan, Kennedy, and Hazard are probably, what's that, eight or nine players who are regular fixtures in the squad. And for, for something, Dave, that's going to be a squad game, a quadruple header, you know, Northern Ireland notoriously don't haven't had much outside really of the first 11 or the first maybe 13, 14 players. I think actually Barraclough has done very well to negotiate, for example, triple headers um, around exactly a year ago. Um, but Keith touches on something there, which I think is really important. You know, it's Greece is going to be a very tough game. They have better players. They have better players than us. They are probably favorites for it, but it could come down to, I suppose, those games against certainly Cyprus and maybe Kosovo as well. And you would expect six points from Cyprus, but we all know what our away record's like. It, it's never been good in my lifetime, really. And I think if there's one thing that Barraclough could take from the Michael O'Neill era, it's that idea of consistently beating the teams that we should be beaten or are higher ranked than. You know, Michael O'Neill's probably the first manager in my lifetime to ever do that for a Northern Ireland team. The narrative used to be, I suppose, the exact opposite, wasn't it? That we'd, we'd you know, famously beat Spain and, or lose to Iceland and then go and beat Spain as the, as the actual example goes. But I don't know, how, how do you think we should approach these games? And as I say, for the first time, really not being underdogs going into it, actually probably having a little bit more of the ball in, in most of the games in this group. It's it's not something we're used to as, as fans or even as players. No, it's not. But I think we we have seen Barclough, I think, start to get the hang of that um, recently and in, in dominating these, these weaker sides. I think, you know, it's wins against... Malta, Lithuania, and Luxembourg recently, um, and they're sides that you would expect to go out and, and get a result against. And Estonia as well, didn't we? One of Estonia, yeah, Estonia yeah. as well. That, that's right. Yeah, and sometimes we used to, and sometimes we didn't use to. And but we never really went out and got really convincing results with convincing victories. And we actually have done that recently, um, which I think. It shows that there is development in this side, and it shows that there is something positive um, to be taken from the progress that Barclough has made so far. And I'm not saying that it's, it's going to solve all of our problems, but um, you know, I think the key point is here is we do have a lot of experience out. We do have a lot of like the few Premier League level players that we have. Um, you know, they're. Who, who are we missing there? We're missing Lewis. We're missing Cathcart. Um, nice. We're missing Dallas, do you know? And then you've got you've got Evans. Um, so you know, that's 75% Premier League standard players. It's, it's not a great position to be in. But again, this kind of comes back to the thing that, that we've been talking about is, is, you know, in our eyes, but the role that Barclough was given was as much to do with transitioning those young under-21 players Um to move into first team level um, and start to become part of a squad, a proper squad system. And all things considered, an injuries side, that's just a contradiction in terms, I accept. Um, but this is probably the deepest squad we've had. We're not relying on those kind of 13, 14 players that, that you were talking about. Um, we have more behind that than we used to. So if we could use this as an opportunity to get the likes of Paddy Lee in more minutes, maybe, you know, 
get Bradley some more game time on the pitch. Um, try and create a cohesive midfield three that can go out and do your job and maybe form a, like a proper strike partnership because I don't really think we've settled on one yet and I think we can probably all agree with that. At the minute, it's Lavery plus one, but who that one is, is is anybody's guess and I'm sure you'll hear at least two or three different opinions spread evenly across that. So, um, yeah, if, if we can start to kind of address some of those, not issues, but kind of... Um, progress those areas of, of the squad and the development farther a little bit over these next four games and pick results up at the same time. That's your ideal scenario here, you know, and the objective will still to be go out and win the game, which we're capable of doing. Um, but like I say, I don't think he's going to sacrifice the developmental aspect of what he's doing here to go out and just win the game of football. He's going to try and do both and he'll rather take the loss than, than kind of compromise on, on his overall his overall kind of goal here. So again, I'm, I'm kind of just sticking with, with there at the minute, but I'm confident enough you can go out and get results against those two sides. And you're probably right. If you draw both against Greece, if you if you win your home game, lose your away game, it probably will come down to the results against those other sides. So let's just wait and see. Absolutely. Yeah, Keith, the Northern Ireland's record in the Nations League is well documented. It's zero wins, two draws and eight defeats. It's six goals scored, 18 goals against it doesn't make for great reading, although, to be fair, the initial seedings of it were probably, even under Michael O'Neill, you would have maybe seen Northern Ireland as a lower-ranked League B side or in between League C and League B, which is probably where we're at right now. Maybe even a League C side in itself, when you, you sort of see, especially the squad we've come out with, with, you know, as Dave says, 75% of our Premier League players not there. That probably is our level right now. And, you know, we should have been relegated after the first one. It was just basically a, a revamp of the competition. So you if it could make sure Germany didn't go down, that's essentially why we stayed up. And, um, you know, we have finally found ourselves in this situation where we have been relegated. We still haven't won a game. And even though we're playing against much different opposition and the players and the staff will be well aware of that, do you think that Nations League record will be any sort of a mental block for them or do you think they'll be able to quite easily put that to one side and, and get the job done hopefully against one of if not both of the, the weaker sides in the group in this quadruple header I'm not sure players would come out you know would break it down like that I'm not sure they'd necessarily see it as we haven't won a Nations League game yet like I don't know if that would necessarily be something that would be end up in the changing room wall I don't think they would they would think that way but like, it, it means something to the players and like, Northern have underperformed in the Nations League. You're absolutely right. Like, the, the way it fell, we were good just before the Nations League came along, which meant we were higher ranked than maybe we really were. And we paid the price for that. And the whole, you know, we got relegated but didn't get relegated, so got relegated twice. Um, you know, it's been slightly disparaging in a way. Um, I do think Michael O'Neill in his first campaign made Nations League campaign got it wrong. I don't think he took it seriously enough. He... No, he didn't take it seriously, but he used it as an opportunity. He was very open about it. He said it in plenty of press conferences that that he was using it to develop players, but we ended up getting poor results. And I think that it, it wasn't maybe, I don't think it, we really got uh, much out of it. Um, I think this time around, again, like we say, we're missing players, but I think Ian Barakov has to take this seriously. He has to get wins. Not so much. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, if it goes wrong, maybe he could lose his job. I don't think that's a problem. But if, if these results are poor, what he could lose is the support from the fans. Because that, to me, is very much in the balance. 
know, there's not really a defined opinion among the Northern support on whether we are they like Ian Barclough or whether they don't like Ian Barclough. Like by this stage, like most Keith, of the time, I don't even like Keith. I don't even think I have a defined opinion no, on whether no. I like Keith Barclough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's and that, but that's kind of contrary to to what maybe happened in the past. People said really early on that they didn't like Nigel Wilson. That was just decided. Like well, fans kind of made a collective decision, which was unfair on him. But like results, understandable. Michael O'Neill was different. He got off to a really poor start, but the fans still, to be fair, most of them stuck behind him because they could see that there were progress was being made and, and that paid off in the end. But Farkloff, it, it, it's hard to get a feel of what way people are, are going to go. If this is a bad campaign or it's a good campaign, that could swing it going into, into the qualifiers, which is what really matters. So I think Ian Barkoff could really do with nailing down a couple of wins, a couple of wins at Windsor Park, you know, a big win against Greece on Thursday night. That would be great for him because I think that Italy was really good, and that was a really positive step forward. But it wasn't a win. And if we could get a win against Greece on Thursday night, I think that's big for Barakov. So he has to, uh, you know, you talk about experimenting, and that's great. And it's great for the kids to be in the squad and to see to see what the older players are and get that international experience. But we need to get some wins. And I think the I think the Greece game is one that it's tough, but you've got to give it everything and, and treat it like a qualifier and, and give it your best shot and at least come away with the draw. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, just picking up on that, um, between you sort of talking about how the squad's a little bit weaker and a little bit more inexperienced this time around and how you think Barclough's going to approach it, and between what Keith said about Greece being a good side, and it would actually be a, a quite a phenomenal achievement if we were to come out of this group having won it and having secured that playoff before qualification even starts. I think we can all, probably all three of us, agree that a point wouldn't be, certainly wouldn't be the worst result on Thursday night. Um and I suppose that comes down to you've got in the back of your head about how you view Greece, mainly because they've bored the life out of us at international tournaments ever since go- going back to 2004. Obviously, you know, they win the year 2004 in such a notoriously boring and difficult to watch way. And even under the 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 manager, uh, is it Federico Santos or Fernando Santos, who went on to manage Portugal and then obviously bored the life out of us to go on to win the, the tournament with them as well. Traditionally, Greece have, have been quite a difficult side to watch, but and that's a negative way of putting it, but also they're very difficult to break down and know how to stay in games and, and ultimately kind of score from, from set pieces and this, that and the other. So I guess if we were to get, say, two draws or win the home game and, and lose the away game against Greece, part of that, part of why we, we think that wouldn't be the worst result is the fact that they... We while we don't necessarily have that much faith in us going to beat Kosovo and Cyprus home and away and getting 12 points from that, they probably won't have that much faith in themselves doing that either. I'll just run you through a couple of the results um, recently. In the World Cup qualifiers, they beat Sweden and drew in Spain, which are, are two phenomenal results, but they did draw to Kosovo twice and they drew to Georgia. They've only conceded more than one goal in two of their last 16 games um, and they're still in League C in the third edition of the Nations League, kind of for this reason, because they're, they're not notoriously brilliant at at beating those sides consistently um, that are lower ranked than them or even similarly ranked to them. So while we're not entirely confident of beating these uh, beating these these two sides, Cyprus and Kosovo, uh, sorry, Greece won't be either necessarily. Um, and I guess if, if it's to come down to a straight shootout in those four games against the two lower ranked sides, um, it could it could it could be quite close. It could be interesting. Yeah, I think I think there are definitely parallels between the two. The two nations um, and their football teams, you know, they, they are like us. You say, what is it? Conceded two goals 
twice in the last 16? Yeah, two or more twice in the last 16, yeah. Okay, I, I don't think they've conceded, what is it, more than two goals. They haven't conceded more than twice in the last three years, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, kind of look at that and think, if you don't keep a clean sheet, you're probably not winning the game. Yeah. Um, and and they are a young squad as well. Um, I think, did I see it? It's one player under the age of 30, or sorry, one player over the age of 30 in the squad. So it looks like they're they're trying to, to do something a little bit different with the, the new manager. That's certainly different. Um, I think we can be relatively aware of, of course, Poirier's exploits in, in the Premier League. And um, he does have that kind of decanio manager quality about him. And I'm, I'm not quite sure what you're going to get with him. Um, and I've got no idea where he's been in Spain, maybe, managing. Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I'll... Luckily, after I sent you my research on Greece, which was absolutely chaotic today, I was just writing down everything I could find. But uh, yeah, uh, not a great managerial record I have written down here. Decent job at times at Brighton at Sunderland, but in the last seven years, he's been sacked at AEK. This is a mad list of clubs, by the way. Football hipsters will love this. Real Betis, Shanghai, Bordeaux, and uh, Chilean Primera Division side Universidad Católica after their worst campaign in 10 years. So, you know, he's certainly, it's certainly not a, a high profile. Um, certainly not an appointment based on his exploits in, in club football over the last 10 years. Quite the opposite, actually. It's probably more of a step down for him. Yeah, sounds like Kyle Lafferty's last three years <laughs> in football, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it, it, it's, it's a bit of a basket case career for a bit of a basket case manager, so I'm not sure. But again, I think well, their just, last... Just, he's just two not... games. He's only two games in, isn't he? Yeah, he, he um, lost, uh, lost one friendly, I think, to Montenegro and won the other one against Romania. Um, both 1-0 1-0 win and 1-0 nil. defeat which kind of sums them up in a nutshell doesn't it but you in, know, in a way so, so, so like he, he's known as this kind of crazy the opposite of a pragmatic manager and you know for a, a, a great team I think the manager who wins in Euro 2004 is there for nine years and then Santos is there for the next six so for 16 years I've been playing in that mould and do you think if they go to a, a, a slightly more attacking manager don't get me wrong I don't know too much about his style or whatever I know he's playing 4-3-3 after they've played 3-5-2 for a few years but do you think like a change in culture um, and trying to do that might benefit us because you know to instill those principles when you're not training with them week in week out can be can be quite difficult and there could be teething problems possibly. Yeah, I think a change in it. It, it kind of depends on the manager. And it comes back to the point I was talking about earlier on. Is he going to go in there and just try to get results, or is he there to build something and try to recreate? or sorry, create something different to drag that style of football from that country into the kind of the 21st century sort of thing. Um, and it'll depend on that as to what we see. His first two results suggest it's it's the former. Um, he's there to get results and maybe keep a job for longer than, than three minutes. So, look, I don't know. I think, I just think these guys are probably as in the dark about what this campaign is going to look like as we are, but I think by all accounts, they are getting better. I think for a while there, they were really, really awful, like really awful. And then they changed managers multiple times over a short, a short spell. Um, and this, the, uh, there you are, you know, the evidence is that the Poirier's two games in. So I don't know where they are, but sooner or later, they have to settle on something, whether it's Poirier or whether it's not, I suppose we'll find out sooner or later, but you know, I suppose that this is very much in its infancy. So do we see players go out there trying to impress the new boss? 
young, fit, energetic new players in the squad. And we might see the same from our guys. So it might actually be a really good game. It might be quite competitive, more competitive than you would imagine. Could well be. Keith, Dave touches on something there where he says, you know, we we went through the stats about how they, they've only conceded at most one goal in the last three years. And uh, sorry, most two goals in the last three years and only on two occasions have they conceded uh, two or more goals. And I guess that comes to the point where, which Dave says about if we don't keep a clean sheet, we're not going to win the game. And that's what I was thinking while I was thinking about this game uh, earlier. And first of all, forget their record, the idea that, that we're going to score two goals. You just wouldn't bank on that with Northern Ireland at the moment, even though there have been some, you know, encouraging signs in, in, the, attacking, in the attacking sort of way. The emergence of Lavery, I think, being the main one. But I guess a hallmark of a good team is always ruthlessness in both boxes. Certainly an effective team is ruthlessness in both boxes. Now, ruthlessness in the opposition box is something that we haven't really seen since Healy, apart from the two years of Lafferty in the 2016 qualifying campaign. Um, But ruthlessness in our own box, in our defensive box, is something that we saw very consistently under Michael O'Neill post-2014. And that's something I think we've sort of lost in a way. And um, you look at the silly goal we conceded against Hungary, you know, after dominating the game, that throws that away for us, albeit it's only a friendly, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of been a, a endemic of, of, of conceding silly goals here and there that we'd never really conceded under Michael. Um, so do you think that's something that, that we, can, we can be working on and really trying to, uh, or will that be an important trait for us in, in this group? Because we know we aren't going to score that many goals, but if we keep them out and have the defensive record we did under Michael, then that could kind of give us a good um, pedestal to go from. Yeah, Thursday night, get a tenner on nil-nil, right? It's a start. <laughs> They don't. They don't uh, concede. We don't score. Uh, yeah, that can apply to both teams, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there have been certain little things that I think have have slipped since since the transition from O'Neill to Barakov. You're right. We have conceded some really sloppy goals. I think that was no more evidence than in the the previous Nations League cl- campaign. Um, and and another a factor I think you know we're no longer post probably Norwood's retirement. We're no really a threat. Um, Macaulay. Uh, we're no longer a threat from set pieces, which is something that was, you know, was vital for us in uh, in the O'Neill era, certainly on the way to Euro 2016. Um, so that's, you know, that's obviously, that's a shame that those things have slipped back. Well, in terms of defensive, the defence side of things, we have kept the clean sheet against Italy. And we did keep the clean sheet against Switzerland. So maybe we've turned a corner on that front. Um, so we, again, like you say, we probably need to keep a clean sheet on Thursday night. Like if we're, if we're to get anything from it, it's not going to be a high scoring game. You know, one team will either be nil nil or one team will nick at one nil. That's, that's maybe the reality of it. Um, and to do that, you know, we, we don't score a lot of goals. We don't have a natural goal score. We don't have the big number nine. who's going to pull a result out of the bag for us the way we briefly did under, under David Haley. So we have to keep clean sheets. And in fairness, like that's really the way it's always been for Northern Ireland. You know, even the, the great Billy Bingham teams of the 80s, you know, they didn't, they didn't have an, a top goal scorer. He scored loads of goals. Like the Northern Ireland goal scoring record was 13 for, for as long as I could remember until David Haley came along. And Haley, fantastic in that Euro 20, uh, 2008 campaign. That was unbelievable. That is the exception. Uh, and briefly, Kyle Lafferty, you know, it, it has always been this way, really. Um, so, yeah, we need to keep clean sheets. And if we're going to do anything on Thursday night, we need to keep a clean sheet. We're not going to win, win at 2-1 or 3-2. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think under 2.5, certainly a, a good bet for that one. And um, just on, on the Greece squad as well, you know, you mentioned possibly nil-nil being a, a 
possible result, as well as Dave saying about it being a young Greece squad. It's also a Greece squad. I noticed on Wikipedia that there's no more than five international goals amongst any of the players. I mean, not that we can talk on that, but that's kind of a similar, <laughs> similar, uh, similar numbers to us, or certainly the numbers that we have in our squad are mostly um, not in this decade, really. Um, so we can expect a, a fairly tight affair, and it'll be interesting to see how we approach it. But uh, I should mention that there are two strikers, Pavlidis and Jakumakis. Uh, Pavlidis plays for AZ Alkmaar in Holland, and Jakumakis plays for Celtic. Uh, Pavlidis is 21 and 44 this year, and Jakumakis is 17 and 29. So while they're not really doing it on the international level, that's numbers that we're not really even getting from our um, strikers. Go ahead, yeah, I mean, that, yeah that, that's kind of what I was, was saying earlier about how Greece, like on paper, have a better squad than us. The players have better clubs, and the players are playing more regularly than ours, you know. It's really, it's going to be a really tough job on Thursday. Um, yeah, they, they've got that firepower. I mean, it, it hasn't, you're quite right. You, know, you mentioned those, those lads and I think they've got, uh, what, two international goals between them. So we haven't seen it on international level. But they've also only just broke into the squad in the last year, yeah. uh, those lads. So, so you know, they will be, they will very much view this Nations League campaign against three Irish teams as their opportunity to start scoring goals. So we'll need to be wary. Yeah, and for 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 players for whom international goals don't really come across that often, and, and players kind of put a lot of value in international goals, the Nations League against you know similarly or lower ranked teams is a good way for for players who are really bothered about those international records to to kind of stat pad as the the football Twitter saying goes. But Dave, I, I just want to talk about the the actual squad itself, and we'll come on and, and we'll finish the podcast by talking about Northern Ireland and the team we expect to see. But there were several very young inexperienced players in that squad um, when it was named. I mean, I always said when I was talking about Barraclough and how kind of his progression and his um, taking the taking on the mantle from Michael O'Neill was going to go, I always thought that he would make Ballard, the, like, the likes of Ballard, the likes of McCann, the likes of Lavery, from young players, inexperienced players, into full internationals. That's what he's done. And then I always thought this campaign, he would we would see him bring the likes of Galbraith and McCann up through the players who pretty much weren't ready. I think we could all say a year or two ago and, and they would come in and this Nations League would be used for them, especially against slightly weaker opposition. But he's gone very much that way, hasn't he, with the, the squad selection? I mean, there's four or five names, I would say, that we we really didn't expect to see in that squad. And, you know, you've got um, you've got Clark, the young goalkeeper at Glenavon, 17 years old. I mean, I mean he's not going to play a part. He's the fourth choice keeper in that squad. You've got Shea Charles, uh, defender slash midfielder at Man City, who's trained with the first team. Uh, you got Brody Spencer, a defender from Huddersfield in, who's only even played for Northern Ireland's under-17s and 19s, hasn't even played for the under-21s, let alone a senior call-up. Um, and then, not that he's a young player, but Conor McMenamin coming in from the, the Irish League, which we'll come on to talk about next. We'll just park that there for a second. But I, it, it, it's strange to have those players. And do you think it's just a case if he wants to get them uh, involved with the squad, give them the experience of, of coming away with the lads? Yeah, I certainly can't see any of those three uh, players being used that much over the course of the four games, but you never know. Yeah, you never know. Um, I think he's probably viewed this as an opportunity more than anything else to do the thing that he wants to do. And it also kind of gives him a bit of a free hit here where he's able to point to, well, that's look at all the players that have been missing. And I had to call up these kids. Some of them haven't even made under 21 debuts yet. And I'm having to call them into the first team squad. That's the position that I was in. But I don't think Barraclough is, is like that. I, I do think that... Um, it is now about that. It, it's it's the club, and I think it's about creating that ethos. It's about creating that that culture and that environment. And you know, 
For all Southgate's flaws, that I would say, certainly as a tactical football manager, I think something he is really good at is building that environment around his, his international setup. And you see him, how he brings certain players in, just pulls them in, gets a look at them, integrates them in, makes them realize what it's all about, gets a look at their personality, see how he fits in with the group, et cetera, et cetera. See if he can click on to the tactical aspect um, once he's there and, and puts all that together. And then he can he can make a better judgment on what he what he's going to do with them further down the line. You know, there's James Madison's had a really good season. He's never, never going to play for Gareth Southgate. Southgate doesn't like him for one reason or another, whether it's what sort of player he is or his attitude or personality. And and this is the sort of thing that, that um, I think Barclough is using this to do is to go, right, let's get these guys in. Give them a bit of experience, show them what it's all about, um, get them involved in some coaching sessions and build relationships with the lads. So when they come up two or three years down the line, they're not nervous. It's like they've been there all before. They've they've seen it, they've done it. Um, and like I say, I'm excited. You know, this young lad plays for Manchester City, and he's, I think, he's already playing Manchester City under twenty three football. And as you say, he's been training on the bench a couple of times just uh, this yeah, season, just for know, cups and that, yeah. You know, so there's obviously talent there. And then the other thing that we have to consider, if you want to be really pragmatic, is this you know, this five-cap rule. Um, and a lot of these players will be eligible to play for at least probably two of the home nations. Yeah, Shay um, Charles, there was a piece on it. He's eligible to play for England and the Republic of Ireland. The Barclays fairly confident of... Um, that, that that Northern Ireland thing he mentioned Northern Ireland is his international home, but like, like you say, it's, it's a lot more difficult now. Previously, you could have brought him in. Like I remember, uh, obviously we're both Liverpool fans. I remember Harry Wilson coming on when he was fifteen, I think, for Wales, just for a minute at the end of a game. You can't do that anymore because you need to give them what nope. I think it's four caps is is what ties them down. Um, so yeah, so it's a little bit more difficult. So it suggests that it's not just the idea of getting them capped. It's it's more kind of deeper than that, as you're saying. Yeah, and also for the players themselves, making them feel valued making them feel like that they're wanted, specifically wanted by, by, by that particular country, that particular setup, um, and making them feel like they're special. Um, and that, and that is, that's the way of the world now. You know, um, you've got to show these guys that you're interested in them. You've got to court them almost, as it were, you know, as sometimes teams would do when they're trying to sign a player. So I think it's all part of that process. There's a number of benefits that, that Barclough can draw here from what's a pretty difficult situation injury-wise from him. So, um, yeah, I, I think that is what the aspect is here and that's what he's going for. Yeah, I, I was slightly surprised not to see Isaac Price in the squad if they were if they were um playing some of the bringing in some of those youngsters as well. I know he's eligible for a couple of the other nations, Keith, but um he obviously came on for the last I think 15 minutes for Everton in the last day of the season. He's been involved in some of the match day squads. So I thought if there was going to be a surprise it would be him. But uh, it wasn't to be but just before we move on to, to Conor McMenamin and uh, the kind of idea of, of calling up Irish League players, were you slightly surprised surprised not to see Ethan Galbraith in the squad. We know he's gone out this season. He's got his experience under his belt. He's got a full season in League One. I think he's done quite well for Doncaster, albeit did they maybe even finish bottom of the league? They certainly get relegated anyway. Um, but not that I necessarily think Ethan Galbraith should definitely be in the Northern Ireland senior squad every day of the week. But when you see some of those other names called up and then see Galbraith in the under-21s, I don't know, do you think it's a case of, you know, making the under-21 squads stronger. We know Barkoff is an under-21 manager himself. He knows how it feels to have kind of your best players taken and, and brought up and, and not even playing many minutes for the senior team when they can make a big impact with the, the under-21s. Or do you think Barclough right now doesn't rate him as, as good enough to be in that squad? Honestly, I, th I think that, you know, sometimes people are looking for a conspiracy theory, things like this. I, I think that 
Barrett Clough just rates other players above him at this moment in time. I think it's pretty obvious he rates Alfie McCallum ahead of him. He's been picked above Galbraith on a few occasions. Um, you know, that's that's maybe tough for, for Ethan. Probably more surprising maybe to see Charlie McCann ahead of him. Um, but that's maybe a reward for McCann. You know, Northern worked really hard. The IFA worked really hard to get McCann across to play for Northern. So maybe this has been promised to him as something as a, as a token to, to get him across the line and, and make him convert to Northern Ireland. So, I, you know, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I think Ethan Galbraith will will have a future with Northern Ireland and will be uh, will be a good player for us. I, I don't think it's a great disgrace that he isn't in the squad right now because, um, you know, there's other options. Our midfield is somewhere that we've maybe got more options than we've got in other positions, particularly in wing back or, or up front. So, uh, I don't think it's a massive deal. Um, I'm really, really pleased to see Shay Charles in the squad. I think that um, I've talked to a few people about him, a few former internationals, and they rate him incredibly, incredibly highly. And, uh, you know, that's one that we, we will face competition from. Um, I think you need to be careful with the whole, you know, you talked about the Harry Wilson one. Obviously, like you say, that wouldn't work anymore. But I think the IFA and Northern were careful with Conor Bradley not to just be chucking him on and giving him a minute here and there because a player will see through that. You know, they will see these guys are just trying to tap me down. They're, they don't take my they don't trust me. They don't take my word when I say I'm committed to them. So that's something you've got to be wary of. But I would like to see Shay Charles get game time, even get a start maybe if possible. That that might not be practical because we want to try and win games. But um, you know, a guy who can play fullback, centre back, and centre mid. Yes, please. We need somebody like that. I mean, he's got all the all the attributes. I mean, he's been described as a bit of a cliche, but I've seen him described as a Rolls Royce of a footballer. You know, we need cool heads. You're good in the ball. It's something that we maybe aren't naturally blessed with. So I think Shay Charles is some someone to be excited about. Okay, fair enough. That's that's interesting. One to keep an eye on then. And I suppose, you know, he wouldn't be training with Manchester City's first team and training with Pep Guardiola if, if he didn't think he had something about him. So uh, certainly an, an interesting one there. And Dave, you're a Glenn Torn fan. Sorry about that. Um, obviously just ratted you out. I'll, I'll, put, I'll just link your Twitter down below for so the followers can, can just give you a bit of stick later on. But uh, yeah, You're not the rooster, are you? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the cock. Um, Irish League players in the squad is something that um, hasn't been a thing for for quite a long time I suppose the the only exception to that is Shane Lavery isn't it but it always felt to me that he was in the squad because of his European exploits and proving it against uh, you know teams like Karabag and Sujeska from from Macedonia and being able to prove himself on that level because quite controversially actually he was still being called up to the Northern Ireland squad when there were more informed Irish League strikers than him Obviously, that was before he had his, his real breakout season in the Irish League and got his move across the water to Blackpool. But there's there's two Irish League players in the squad. There's there's Clark, the goalkeeper, who's, who's not going to play. But uh, Conor McMenamin, and Albanian Barraclough said that he thinks he can get a move across to England or Scotland. It's not one of these where he's trying to get him on necessarily on board because he's, he's not really that young. He's 26, um, and he's had a very good season for, for Glenn Torn. So I, I certainly was a little bit surprised to see that one. But then... Um, you think going in in the future now, especially with as I say, you know, needing to use the squad, bigger squads being named as well. Do you think we could see more Irish league players being called up, or even an incentive to Irish league players that there is a pathway? You don't necessarily need to get yourself across the water. Yeah, you know, I, I think was has been commentating on Irish league games, yeah. hasn't he? You know, which I thought was 
bonkers. Um, do you know, um, he was at the Irish Cup final. You know, he's obviously taken an interest in the local game, which I think is great. Um, and he's he's trying to maybe look at that as potentially an untapped resource. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we, we've seen we've seen players um, called up before in and around um, when they've been playing in the Irish League. And I think this McMenamin one kind of, it, it's, it gives me kind of nostalgic Rory Hamill vibes um, when he's kind of plucked kind of mid-career from, from a decent Glentorn side and parachuted in for a couple of caps. Um, and it feels a bit like that, but I kind of feel like this is a player a player profile sort of thing with um, with Barclough where, you know, I think he's 20-odd goals this season. I think it's a goal every other game, something like that. Um, but he's he's quick and he's direct and he's he's kind of strong and tenacious and, you know, he might be some someone that Barclough feels can kind of conjure something out of nothing um, and can be used effectively on the break um, with kind of pace and running in behind and he can carry the ball. So um, I think, you know, there's there's a use to be had for him. Um, whether he's of that level, you just don't know. And we always talk about that thing that sometimes it's, it's just luck that carries your career from, from nothing to something spectacular. Um, and maybe he just hasn't had that luck. Not sure that's the case, but um, yeah, I think you're right. 26 is a bit old to be starting to talk about a, a move abroad now because um, you know you kind of if you're not plucked from that age bracket at a very very young age now, that's kind of you done for. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think it's good for the, I think it is it's good for the it's good for the Irish League game, uh, and hopefully again it. it it is a testament to the overall development of football in the country and hopefully something that can encourage us to apply more money into that and start creating from within a bit more. It's interesting you mentioned stylistically there as well, because I remember in the March friendlies or sorry, in the March qualifiers this year, when Shane Lavery was being selected over Shea Charles for certain match day squads, um, or sorry, Dion Charles for certain match day squads when, when Charles was scoring so many goals in league one, it was the idea of, of, of that stylistic player. You can get in behind and has a little bit of pace rather than kind of, well, we didn't really know what Charles was like at that point, but we had the cliche, the, the very basic thing that we boil it down to on this podcast is that the big man, little man uh, strike partnership, isn't it? Which, which, which we've seen work quite well for Northern Ireland, but, but Keith, obviously you cover the Irish league quite a lot for your job and, um, McMenamin, what do you what do you kind of know about him, and do you do you think this is this is as much for anything else, like a an incentive for for Irish league players, as incentive Dave, like an incentive for them to, to keep working? And you, there is actually a pathway into the Northern Ireland squad which doesn't involve going across the water. You know what? I think it's purely pa- pragmatic on Barclays close part. I think he just he rates him as a player. They brought him into that training squad to have a look at, and by all accounts, he did really well, and he impressed the manager. There's different. You're quite right. There's different types of Irish league call ups. One type is a Josh Clark type, which is for experience. That, that's a kid who's not, he's there to, to soak it all up and, and learn a wee bit about it uh, rather than, than play. Um, there's the other type, the second type, which is the Shane Labry one, which is you bring them in, you showcase them, you, sh- you put them on the, you know, all the, the scouting apps and all, all those systems and say, look, look, look at this kid, this kid can get in behind, he's quick, he can score a goal. That, that worked really well with Shane Labry and no, they're persistent with that at times. And Shane Lavery wasn't wasn't at, at the top of his game for Linfield, as you say, and, and that worked out really well for both player, club, everyone, country. Um, McMenamin's different to me. McMenamin is, is is pragmatic because with a few injuries, we're missing a few players in key positions. 
McManaman can play through the middle. He can play on the right. He can play on the left. We play wing backs a lot, a lot of the time. And McManaman, although he hasn't really done it for the Glens, can't play left wing back, which is a position we're really light in. So I think it's maybe more a pragmatic one. Could he get a move across the water? He's good enough. He could play in League Two or whatever. I have no doubt about that without any problem. But he's 26, as you say. Um, really, more significantly, he's under contract with the Glens. Is a football league club going to come along and, and pay a fee for him? Not, you know, a decent fee. And it would need to be a decent fee to get him away from the Glens, who obviously have, a, have backing, have funding at the moment. So, no, I think it's a pragmatic thing more than anything. Uh, I think it's somebody that Barclough looks at and thinks, yeah, you know what, off the bench, maybe he could conjure something for you. So... Uh, I think it's good. I don't think there's I'm nothing against that. You know, players should be picked from Northern Ireland not based on what division they're in, but what their ability is and what they can bring to the squad. I hate sort of seeing the stuff where you see fans complaining about what on earth he doing in the squad. He only plays in the Scottish Championship or whatever. If they're good enough, they're good enough. Get them in. Yeah, absolutely. Completely fair on that. And um, just to just to start to wrap up the podcast, we've been talking for for nearly an hour now and I was going to do this as, as two separate things, the wing backs and uh, who partners Shane Lavery up top. And uh, I guess there's, there's, there's some other interesting things. There's a third man in midfield. Now you'd say Davis and McCann are probably kneeled on if we're starting our strongest team and who that, that, that kind of third man is, is going to be. But uh, Keith, I'll go to you first. And this has gone to Dave, I think first and more or less everything else. And um, I just want you to, to sort of name me your, your best team. And probably it will be the strongest team that plays against Greece. We know it's a quadruple header. It's been a long season, especially for our guys who are playing football league, which is eight or nine more games than most other European leagues. So that'll play a factor and we will have to rotate. But I think for the Greece game, it probably will be the strongest side because they are the strongest side and are our biggest competitor for this group. So like for me, wing backs is, is, is a really worrying one, especially left wing back. I mean, I guess you mentioned McMenamin there, but, the uh, Paddy Lane's probably the, the most likely after his, his performance against, against Hungary at the moment. Kieran Brown, I know, can play there, but I, I don't think anyone particularly wants to see Kieran Brown playing at left wing back, uh, certainly in games where we are going to have most of the ball and it's not just going to be a purely defensive thing. Um, there's Niall McGinn as well, who's played there a couple of times, but again, getting on a little bit now, could be exposed. So that's a concern for me. The right wing back, there's a, little, a, a few more options like Bradley and Hume, but at the same time, are either of those ready to play four games in a row? Um, and then up front, I mean, we, me and Dave had the debate many times in this pod, so I'll let you go on that. What, what kind of would be your, your strongest Northern Ireland team? Yeah, I mean, you, you're quite right. The left wing back one's really curious just because without Lewis, without Dallas, without Ferguson, we'll probably be the left wing back for... Maybe not all four games, but I think you'll start against Greece, and that, that is massive. I mean, the only way that wouldn't happen, I think, is if Barclough decided to change formation and play a, a flat back four uh, for the Greece game, and then you can then you've got more options. Like you, you know, Johnny Evans has played left back four. I don't think that would happen, but like he's done it in the past. In that circumstances, you could play Brown at left back. You couldn't play him left wing back. I don't think. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on. That's a possibility. But if we assume that he sticks with wing backs. Um, you know, obviously, he got fouled as their goalkeeper, and I, I would have him for all four games. He's the number one, you know. I know that would be tough on, on Southwood and Carson, but just get him nailed in as, as the number one. Um, center backs, you know, it's really difficult to predict Northern teams, particularly when Sir Dallas is there because he can play all the positions. 
the same is true for Paddy McNair. You know, trying to pick. Yeah. Like, you know, when you get the squad list or the team list before kickoff, and you're like, you still can't figure out what the formation yeah, is. Yeah. Because yeah. if you put McNair in anywhere, you can put Dallas in anywhere. It's really tr- trust me. Trying trying to tweet the team out from the UFAP before the Northern Ireland team that's extra stress for me. So trying to work out exactly where to put the the colons and the commas is. It's another thing. I, I suppose McNair's performance at, at right wing back and kind of his versatility um, he performed very well at right wing back against Hungary as well. You know, ideally, I think they'll probably want McNair as the third centre back because I think that's a tactic and the overlapping runs are actually a tactic rather than just a little bit of madness from him. But, you know, if you want a safe option at right wing back, especially when you're maybe going for somebody inexperienced at left wing back, McNair might not even be the worst option there. I think you probably hit upon it. I suspect McNair was tried a right wing back against Hungary. Um, I don't know how well it worked, really, but I think that's something you could see again, and then you'll have Evans, Ballard, and Brown as as your three centre-backs. Um, the other option would be to have McNair in the centre, and then you would probably be looking at Connor Bradley at right wing-back, which would be a lot more exciting. I quite like that, but I, you know, it might be a safety-first approach because you've already got one experienced wing-back, so you have two, maybe not. Midfield three is more difficult. Um, Davis, McCann nailed on. Third one, third positions, anyone's really. Um, you know, Liam Donnelly wouldn't let you down as a sitting midfielder. Savile, you know, doesn't have a lot of a lot of fans out there really amongst the land support, but he does play at a decent level. Um, I would probably edge towards Jordan Thompson. I think Jordan Thompson, despite him crying his eyes out when Rangers got beat at the Europa League final, we, we put that to one side. I didn't uh, even see that actually. <laughs> Straight after Steve Davis, really, really bizarre. Steve Davis was being interviewed, and there's no way the like the you know, the, the producer could have known this. <laughs> Cut the person in the crowd. It's Jordan Thompson. It's <laughs> Steve Davis's international midfield teammate crying because it's price range. When, where else would you get it? Uh, but I, yeah, I think Jordan Thompson will maybe get that third, that third spot midfield up front. Lavery, the other one, could be anyone. Um, again, I would probably go with Connor Washington. I really like Connor Washington. Um, a lot of people talk about Dion Charles. I haven't really seen anything from Dion Charles to make me think they should start. I think like every two years or so, another English-born Northern Irish connected striker comes through, and all that that mad Facebook group. So like, get him in the team. He's amazing. He scored 15 goals in League Two or whatever, and like nine times out of ten, the turnout to be not that good. We saw that with Will Gregg. Uh, Calvacell, but me. Now, Dean Charles is, is probably in, is in between those two, and maybe I'm selling short. It could be something special, but I haven't seen it so far. Maybe we'll see it this, this week. That'll be great. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, Washington Lavery, Dave, was was that partnership. Um, and just I'll, I'll wrap it up after this, but it was a partnership that worked really well for us in September. And we were kind of forced into it. We all thought he was going to go from McGuinness and one other. And then obviously McGuinness pulled out of the squad as did everyone after we recorded that podcast lunchtime on Saturday and yours and had to do another one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he went with, he stumbled across Lavery Washington and it worked really well. I think in October, Lavery was out and then for November and March, Washington was out. So he hasn't had the chance to try it again. The only thing I was thinking on that was possibly purely from a, a, a stylistic point of view, if Greece are coming to Windsor Park for a point and we are going to have a little bit of the ball, which is possibly wishful thinking, but it's the way I could see the game playing out. We know Greece are pragmatic. 
Um, if you are going to have a lot of the ball, and the ball is kind of going to be bouncing about um, in the box. You're going to say are you... Kyle Lafferty, are you? No, I was actually going to say Dion Charles, just purely for the finishing ability. If a chance falls, is he slightly more likely to take it than Washington? The stats don't show it this season, but over the last few years, Charles is a good goal-scoring record. Rather than Washington, you play more for the run in the channels, the, the stylistically. But yeah, fuck it, why not? Kyle Lafferty. <laughs> um. I, I I can't look past him. I'm kind of a Keith here. I can't look past Washington. And I don't think the manager could probably look past him either. Um, I think we've seen that. He's used Charles sparingly. Do you remember he calls him up, the squad, after somebody gets injured and still doesn't use him? Like, you're thinking, if you're going to... And he has to travel, I think. What game is it? I can't remember now. Is it... I know Lithuania or somebody. I'm not sure, and he doesn't even bring him off. There's on not the, many the direct bench. flights to Lithuania. Yeah. There's not. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I think there's something there that's not quite right with with that. Um, yeah. So I think Washington and Lavery is is kind of the way forward at the moment, especially with McGinnis out. I think there would probably be a toss toss up between McGinnis and Washington if McGinnis had been fit. But uh, yeah, I think that's your two. Um, as far as midfield goes, yeah, honestly, like between Thompson and Savile. Yeah, you're you you um, not have a popular opinion on this, do you? Because you're not Thompson's biggest fan, and you rate Savile slightly more than most. Yeah, so I would lean towards Savile. Don't know what the manager will do. Again, his Twitter's um, already in the bi- in in the in the description I know, below. So. I know I'm not meaning to be controversial here, <laughs> but you know, Thompson for me, I think. I don't think he looks after the ball well enough. Um, I think Savile gives more than than is seen. He just he's just had some really big, awful moments that have kind of tarnished his reputation. Um, but yeah, it, it's got it's going to be three of those four, um, and I think he goes Bradley. To be honest, and left left wing back, Paddy Lane, I think Paddy Lane. Okay, interesting. So a lot we all agree on there. I think he will go probably Thompson over Savile. Um, but I'd say it, it probably one- will for the set piece thing. I think. Yeah, it could be one. It could be one of those where he goes to and two, two, two for Savile for two games, Thompson for two. You know? There is another well, option though, which is dropping Paddy McNair into the into the midfield three, and then that's my dream, Keith. That's my dream. McNair, Davis, McCann midfield. I'm all over that, man. I'm yeah. all over that. Thing is, you know, there, but, there's four games here. Steve Davis ain't gonna play four games, true, so yeah. you're gonna see. Savile. There's Johnny Evans. I don't you're think after the injury, he's sad. You're going to see a lot of, you might not see you know, months or whatever, but you're going to see uh, uh, that 16 that we talked about, you're going to see all of them, they're all going to get started. So we'll see. Yeah. I do, I kind of think that is the reason he goes Savile here. I think he might want to keep Thompson for the games where a little bit more creativity might be necessary. Um, and he might get a little bit more space and certainly more possession of the football. Um but we'll wait and see. I think Savile's probably better, better out of possession um, than Thompson. Yeah. I thought I thought Savile did a phenomenal job against Italy, actually, um, in covering for Lewis um, and kind of his, his positional play and, and and just holding the shape in that game. I thought he had a really, really good game. And then he had he, had, he, he missed a load of chances in the March friendlies, and everyone forgotten about that, hadn't they? So, I mean, uh, yeah, we always say about Savile if he's, he's it's not luck that he keeps getting in those positions. He's doing well to get in them. And um, will we ever see him score the international goal? We all say it's coming. It might never come, but uh, the day it does come, we're out forever. So uh, look forward to that. Um, anyway, thank you very much to Dave Dunham. Thank you very much 
to Keith Bailey for coming on. That has been your Greece slash Nations League slash quadruple header preview. We will have post-match shows in the immediate aftermath of all four of the games, so do stay tuned for that. Uh, Thank you very much to you guys for listening and all your support, and I'll see you after Greece. Bye-bye.